0: Thank you, brother. Great job as always. Thank you, worship team, all of you for leading us into the presence of God through praise and worship this morning. You know the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of His people. We've experienced that here today. What a sweet, sweet spirit has been in this place all morning long, and uh, I'm honored by that. I'm thankful for that. I hunger for that. I'm desperate for that, man. If We come together and meet, it's one thing, but it's something totally different when God meets with us. (laughs) When he blesses us with his power and presence. And uh, So good to be here with you this morning. I love that song for a lot of reasons, but um, it asks a very important question in that song that we all need to answer for ourselves. What what could we say? What could we really do? Knowing all that God's done for us, what do we need to do for him? Well, it answers the question, and I love it. We need to offer our whole heart to him because that's what he wants. It's kind of the same thing that Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves, as, uh, your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. You know what he's saying? It just makes sense that you would give all you've got to Jesus, because Jesus gave all he had for you. What could you say? What could you do, knowing all this, but give everything to him? And um, man, I hope and pray that we do that today, each and every one of us. Take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. That's what we're going to be looking at. Um, we're in the middle of a series of messages talking about the work of the church, And what the church is, what the church does. And last week we talked about the miracle of the church, and this week we're gonna talk about the method of the church. We looked at Matthew 16 last week, where Peter makes his great declaration of faith and Jesus talks to him about his church, and what a blessing that was. We saw that last time we were together, and today we wanna see what the Apostle Paul says about the method of the church, how the church accomplishes what God has saved it to accomplish. And so i uh, looking forward to that this morning. Hope and pray that you are as well. But let me ask you a few things before we get started. What if you could be a part of a movement that has guaranteed success? I mean, there, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You are guaranteed to succeed. What if you could be a part of something um, that you knew couldn't be stopped? <laughs> well, folks, I don't know about you, but I would love to be a part of something like that. See, the truth is, I think... As human beings, we all want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, greater than just us. And if that's true for you, and I believe it is, then you need to check out the church. You need to be a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because how many of you understand the church is guaranteed to succeed? (laughs) It has a guarantee right in the word of God that it's going to do exactly what God has saved it to do. And you say, Russell, what do you mean a guarantee of success when speaking of the church? Well, for me and you, and again, remember now, when I'm talking about the church, I'm not talking about this building. I'm not talking about these four walls and this roof. This is only, like we said last week, the sheep shed. This is just where the church comes to meet. Can you say me Amen. The church that, when I'm speaking of the church and when the Bible speaks of the church, it's talking about the blood-bought, born-again believers who've placed their trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, who have surrendered their lives to the Lordship of Christ. Let me ask you something. Have you done that? Have you trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin? Have you surrendered yourself to Him? Well, if so, then you are a part of His church his body. What does success look like for the believer, for the church? Well, um, if I went around the room this morning and I asked you what a successful Christian looked like, I'd probably get a whole lot of different answers. Some might say, well, Brother Israel, to succeed at being a Christian, you're supposed to love people. And that's a pretty good answer. I think that's a really good answer. Some might say, well, to be successful as a Christian, you need to be a soul winner. And, and man, that's true. You, need, you do need to be a soul winner. To be successful as a Christian, you need to be faithful to the local church. That's That's true. All of those are really good answers. But let me sum all of that up. If we're going to be successful as a Christian, if we're going to be successful as the body of Christ, let me tell you what is, it has to happen, what must happen, and what is ultimately going to happen. To, for the Christian to be successful, you've got to be like Jesus. You say, well, brother, that, that, that uh, uh and, and let me say, if you're like Jesus, it takes care of all that other stuff. I mean, you know, if you're like Jesus, you'll love people. If you become like Jesus, then you will certainly uh, be true to the Word of God. If you become like Jesus, you're certainly going to be a soul winner. So, really, what God has saved us to become is to for us to become like his son jesus we know that from scripture brothers if you will please put for me romans chapter number eight and verse number 29 now you can keep your place there in first corinthians 12 but look what success looks like biblically speaking for the believer for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn Among many brethren. So the Bible is telling us here that we are uh, predestined in Christ to become like Jesus. Are you getting that? It's saying that it is our destiny to one day become just as Jesus is. If you believe it, say amen. Now, let me give you some good news. We are guaranteed to succeed in this. Every believer is. Now, you need to know something though. That process of us becoming like Jesus began at the moment you trusted in Him as Savior. The moment you were born again into the family of God, you were born again as babes in Christ, what the Bible teaches. But how many of you know God saved you not to remain babies, but to become mature believers that look like, talk like, and act like Jesus? And so the process of us maturing starts at the moment we are converted and then continues throughout our lives as we continually seek him, as we continually follow him, as we continually be faithful to him, we are to grow day by day, month by month, year by year to become more and more and more like Jesus. Now let me say something to you. You need to get a hold of this. How many of you know ultimately every believer is going to be like Christ? Now, we know that's not going to happen in this earth. In this earth, we are um, just sinners saved by grace. We still struggle with this flesh. We still struggle with the world. And we still struggle with the devil. Can you say amen? We live in a world that is imperfect, full of sin. And we ourselves are imperfect. So we're never going to fully be like Jesus here. That's why we continually need grace here. That's why we continually need mercy here. That's why we continually come before the Lord and confess our sins and repent of our sins here. We've got to do that continually because, listen folks, we live in this imperfect world, we ourselves being imperfect. But I've got great news for you. 1 John chapter number 3 and verse number 2 is a verse I absolutely love. Brothers, put that up there for me. Look what the Bible says about our guaranteed success as blood-bought, born-again believers. Look what it tells us. 1 John 3, verse number 2. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doeth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. I'm going to say that again, because you must have missed it. We shall, not might, not maybe, not it could happen, but we shall be like Him. guaranteed success. If you want to be a part of something that is guaranteed to succeed, if you want to be a part of something that can't be stopped and won't be stopped, you need to be a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, the church cannot be stopped. The church will not be stopped. It can't be stopped by the scheme of man and it can't be stopped by the power of the enemy, the devil himself. Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful to be a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Guaranteed success. A church that can't be stopped that God is working in, working on and working through to impact a lost and dying world, a church that is alive and well, a church that is growing. Can you say amen? We praise the Lord for that. I'm thankful for the miracle of the church. Let's this morning look at the method of the church in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. There's three things that I want to give you about the method of the church. First of all, I want you to see the birth of the church. Everybody look at 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse number 12. Look what it says. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Now don't let that trip you up with the old English. He's just simply saying we are many members made up of one body, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13. He tells us something very, very important that we all need to take note of. He says, for by one spirit. Everybody say one spirit. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into the body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Now what's he talking about here? How that the the Holy Spirit baptized every believer, all believers. to the church. Well, it all started back on the day of Pentecost. We've read about it, haven't we? In Acts chapter number two, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, came as a rushing mighty wind there in Jerusalem, and it filled the believers, baptizing them into the body, and that day, the church was born. Listen, every believer there at Pentecost was baptized into the body of Christ, but let me tell you this. I also know that every believer after pentecost has been baptized into the body not some not a lot of them not not many of them but all believers every believer has been baptized by the holy spirit get that into the body of the lord jesus christ into the church how do we know that well that's what verse 13 tells us look what it says there first corinthians twelve thirteen. for by one spirit we are all everybody say all Not some of us, not a lot of us, not a few of us, but all believers are baptized into the body by the same Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. We sang about it just a moment ago, about this treasure that we have in these earthen vessels. God lives within every believer in the person of the Holy Spirit. We have been baptized into the body of Christ by the person of the Holy Spirit. I want to make two statements about the baptism of the Holy Spirit this morning. Number one, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not incidental or optional, but it is fundamental for every believer. It's fundamental for every believer. It's foundational. Listen, that's where it all Begins. So if anybody ever asks you if you have been baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, if you've ever been baptized in the Spirit, if you're a believer, you need to say yes. Now when did that take place? It took place at the moment you believed. At the moment you trusted in Jesus. Now why am I telling you this? Because there's a lot of people who teach that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is optional. There's a lot of people who teach and believe that you can be a follower of Christ without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Folks, that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse number 13, we are all baptized by one spirit into one body. If you believe it, say amen this morning. Nowhere in the Word of God, nowhere in the New Testament are you ever going to be commanded to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you why. Because the moment you believe you are baptized, immersed, put into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit of God. It's a work that God does at conversion. Everybody got it? Now, What you are going to continually see throughout the New Testament is the command of believers to be filled by the Spirit. Amen. Why? Well, that's really a different message for a different day, but I want to tell you, and we're going to get there, but I just want to tell you, we all need the filling of the Holy Spirit continually. I'm going to tell you something. Every time I, before I come out here, but while I'm in my study, in my office, getting ready to come out here and preach to you, the last thing I do before I walk through those doors is I get on my face and I say, Lord, I can't do this. You've got to do it if it's going to get done. I'm praying that you fill me up this morning and you pour me out. And I'm telling you something. It's amazing that God will do just that. He'll fill you up and work through you to accomplish His good will and His purpose. And that's not only only true for the pastor, that's true for the prayer warrior. That's not only true for the prayer warrior, that's true for the soul winner. That's not just true for the soul winner, it's true, it's true for the Sunday school teacher. It's true for every believer who has the Holy Spirit, who has been baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. Listen to me, folks. We need the filling of the Holy Spirit day by day. But you're baptized by the Holy Spirit into the church only once. And that happens at conversion for all believers according to 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Now then, statement number two about baptism, specifically the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is spoken of in the word of God literally and figuratively. Literally, we were baptized in the water. I mean, we went through a literal baptism in the water. Amen? Now listen to me, though. That water baptism did not put you in the body of Christ. That water baptism is symbolic of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happened at conversion that put you in the body of Christ. There's a lot of people who preach and teach that you've got to be baptized in order to truly be saved. That baptism is salvific. No folks. That's not what God's word says. Listen. If you have to be baptized. To be born again. To truly be born again. Then we got to take the whosoever shall call upon the name. Of, you got to take that out. Because folks that's walking in the Sahara Desert this morning. That call upon the Lord. They can't be saved. They ain't enough water out there to be baptized. Folks that's flying around in the International Space Station, they can't call on the Lord and be saved today because there ain't enough water up there to be baptized in. What I'm saying is baptism happens by the purse of the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion. It's a work that God does by His Spirit. And then this water baptism is symbolic, showing everybody else of the work that God has done personally in the heart and life of every believer. Are you getting it? Every believer has been baptized into the church, into the body by the spirit. Now, I I keep stressing that point because I've talked with so many people through the years who keep thinking they're missing out on something. And they, and, and they wonder if they don't have everything they need. Listen to me. When you've got Jesus, you've got everything you need. Can you grow in the Lord? Absolutely. Can you be filled with the Spirit so that you might operate in His power to do His work? Absolutely. But when you got Jesus, you've got everything you need. Look at this, Colossians chapter number two, one of my favorite verses in all the word of God. Colossians chapter two, look down with me if you will at verse number 10. Let's just start with verse number eight, Colossians two and eight. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For in him, what's that mean? In Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Jesus, the fullness of the Trinity dwells is what it's saying. Now watch what it says in verse 10. And ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. So let me tell you something, folks. When you got Jesus, you got completely everything you need. Now, God the Holy Spirit Dwells in you as a believer. You have that treasure in earthen vessels. Now, God the Holy Spirit works on you, works in you, and works through you to accomplish the good will and purpose of God. You've got everything you need when you've got Jesus, and I'm thankful for it this morning. I'm not worthy of it. I'm not deserving of it, but praise God for his grace. It is truly amazing that mere mortals can be indwelled by God himself in the person of God, the Holy Spirit. Wow, that amazes me. I can't get enough of that. I think about that all the time, how that God dwells in me. And listen, if you're a believer, he dwells in you. So we need to see, first of all, the birth of the church, the birth of the body. But you also need to see the business of the body. What is the body um, saved to do? What, what have we been called into this thing to accomplish? Well, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. Look what it says here. 1 Corinthians 12. Uh. Look at verse number 13. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member but many. If the foot shall say because I am not of the hand, I am not of the body; is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say because I am not of the eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? And if the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? But look at verse 18. But God has set the members in every one of them in the body, watch this now, as it has pleased him. What is the purpose of the body? The purpose of the body is to please the head. Now, if that's true, then we need to answer the question, who's the head? Who's the head of the church? Is the pastor the head of the church? Are the deacons the head of the church? Listen, who's the head of the church? Is the Pope the head of the church according to the Word of God? Absolutely not. Who's the head of the church? of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the, that that me just saying that kind of gives you the answer, but I want to give it to you biblically. I want you to see in the Word of God what it means. Ephesians chapter number two, and look with me down to verse number 19. Look how the Apostle Paul explains this here. He says he's praying for these believers, and and man, what an awesome prayer it is. Go back and read it in quiet time when you get a moment, but Ephesians two, starting in verse number 19, he prays this, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Now, I know this is kind of uh, chasing a rabbit, but let me chase it a while and I'll catch it and then we'll get back on, on cue to where we need to be. But I want you to think about what Paul is just praying. He said, I want you to get the fullness of the power that dwells in you, the same power that raised up Jesus on that first Easter morning now dwells in every believer. And it dwells in every believer so that we might walk in the newness of life. Think about that just a moment. We have been made alive spiritually by the same power that made Jesus alive when he walked from the tomb. That power dwells in us. And Paul said, I want you to get all that. I want you to really understand what you have and what God's trying to do and wants to do in your life. Then he says in verse 21, he's far above all principality and might, dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world which is to come. Then watch what he says in verse 22. And I put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. So who is the head of the church? Who is the body? That's us. It's the church. It's the many members that make up the one body so that we might perform what the head wants done. Our business is to please the head. Isn't that true physically? Physically, it's true because, listen, my head tells my body what it's supposed to do. And then, listen, it's up to my body then to work in concert with one another, the many members coming together for to work to accomplish the purpose of the head. This is the picture Paul's painting for us, spiritually speaking, when it comes to how um, we are put in the body, while we are put in the body, and what our purpose truly is, what our business really is. Look how it puts this. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with me. He says, there's many members, just one body, and then he lists some of the different members. He says, if the foot shall say that I'm not of the hand, verse 15, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, am I not a part of the body? Is it therefore not a part of the body? He's saying is, we have different members that are different from one another, and God has made us different, So that he might make us one. See, I want you to get a hold of this. And I think this is where a lot of people miss it when they think about church. Do you know that God is not about uniformity in his body? I don't have to be just like you. And you don't have to be just like me. That ain't how God created me. And that's not how God created you. He created you to be you and me to be me and he created us different so that we might work together as one and accomplish the purpose of the head himself. So don't worry about uniformity. You don't have to think like somebody else always and you don't have to talk like somebody else. You don't have to preach and teach like somebody else or sing like somebody else. You don't have to do any of that. You just need to be you full of Jesus. And you, full of Jesus, is the best you you can be. And if I'm the best me, I can be full of Jesus, and you can be the best you, you can be full of Jesus, then we can get something done in the body. See, God is not about uniformity, but unity through diversity. I'm different than you, you're different than me, but God's made us different so that he might make us one. I can do what you can't do, and you can do what I can't do, but together we can do great things. That's how this works. Just like the hand works with the foot, and the foot works with the hand, and we all work together for the the purpose of accomplishing the will of the head. Are you getting it? Now let's just say, let's just say that the eye gets mad at the foot, and you're walking along and the eye sees the hole that the foot's about to step in. But because he's mad at the foot, the eyelid closes, not letting the foot know where the hole is. You know what might happen? The foot might step in the hole. The body's going to fall down and get a black eye. Are you seeing what I'm telling you? Everything works together. We succeed together and we fail together. But if we ain't together, we can never be what God wants us to be. That's why Paul keeps saying, many members, one body, one purpose. The business of the body is to please the head. Unity through diversity. Not uniformity. You need to see the birth of the body. You need to see the business of the body. You also need to see the bonding that is in the body. Look what he says here down in verse number, uh, let's just start with verse number 19. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now there are many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say of the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again of the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Do you see that? Every member is of great importance. And every member has been placed in the body just as it has pleased the Lord. See, it's no accident that you are here at Mount Zion Baptist Church. God has put you here because it's pleased him to do so. You are a part of this body for a purpose. Just like the hand is needed, you are needed. Just like the foot is needed. You so you may be a hand and you may be a foot. You may be uh, big strong shoulders because you're going to bear some burdens. You may be eyes so that you can see uh, the vision for the future that the church needs. You, you, God has put you right where you're at. Because first of all it pleased him. But also so that the body might function like it needs to function. That's why I keep telling you. You need the church, and the church needs you. If you're not a part of the church, plugged into the church, faithful in the church, and you're an eye, what if we need to see something and you're not here? What if your feet and we need to go somewhere and share the gospel, help the needy? And your hands and your feet and and you're not here, how are we going to do that? How are we going to accomplish the purpose of the head if every member don't work together in concert with the others to do so? That's his point. There has to be a bond. A loyalty. Now, how does that work? I, I, I think loyalty is something that's Missing today, maybe more than anything else. I'll tell you how it's supposed to work in the church. You know, if I'm loyal to Jesus, I'll be loyal to the members that are in the body. If you're loyal to Jesus, you'll be loyal to the members that are in the body. If I'm in tune with him, and you're in tune with him, will all be in tune with one another are you getting that I remember when I was a little boy my grandmother had one of those big uh, tall pianos in her room and she had a piano tuner to come and tune that piano and I and I was a little boy probably I don't know seven eight nine years old something like that I went in to, to watch him do that do that and I saw him take the the um, back off that piano and he started striking that tuning fork and then he'd take a screwdriver and he'd twist on them strings, the the screws that, that had the strings tied to them in the back. And as he would twist on those strings and strike that key and then strike that tuning fork, he would make the string match the tuning fork. And he would do that all the way down the line with all of those strings. And when all those strings got in tune with that fork, he knew the piano was ready to play. Well, let me tell you something, folks. Jesus is our tuning fork, amen? He's our standard. When we get in tune with Him, we'll be in tune with one another. When we are loyal to Him, we'll be loyal. One another. It's so very important. Just like he says here. Let me read it to you because I don't want to misquote it. Verse 23. Those members of the body which think to be less honorable upon these, we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncommonly parts have more abundant commonness, for our commonly parts have no need. But God has temp- tempered the body together, having given many more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there would be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. He don't want any schism in the body. He don't want the members working against one another because, folks, That keeps us from accomplishing our goal. That keeps us from doing our business, which is to please the Lord. No schism. Hey, listen. If you've got a problem with your brother, go to that brother and get it right. Just like the scripture says you're supposed to do. If you're offended, go and tell them you've been offended and then you two brothers work it out. Like brothers in Christ, like sisters in Christ, so that there be no schism between the members, so that the business of the body might function, so we might do what's pleasing to the head. And he says, those if you think yourself to be a an uncommonly part, you don't have the greatest honor. You know, I remember when I was a little boy in a Sunday school class, Miss Shirley Taylor would always ask us to pray to end the class. And she would say this, she'd say, remember to thank God for making you. Thank him for your eyes and thank him for good ears. I I can still remember that to this day. She'd say, thank him for your eyes and thank him for your ears and thank him for healthy legs that you can walk because a lot of people can't. And She always made sure and tell us that every time we went to Sunday school. You know what she never said? She never said, thank him for your kidneys. She never said, thank him for your liver or your spleen. Those are not those, maybe the, the, the parts that are honored, but guess what, they're very important. You may think that you are not one of the members who has great honor. Maybe you're not one of the more, have the more showy gifts, but that's okay. You're needed. You're important. And each and every part has been placed in the body. As it's pleased him. For his honor. And his glory. We work together many members in one body. To do his will. This is the method of the church. This is how God set it up. And if we're going to be effective. That's what we must always remember. Everybody stand together this morning. Verse number 26 and 27. I'll close with this. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. That means if I'm hurting, hurt with me. If you're hurting, I'm going to hurt with you. If you're rejoicing, I'm going to rejoice with you. If I'm rejoicing, rejoice with me. Be there for one another at all times. Why? Because we're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're a body. Many members that make up one body doing the work of the Lord Jesus, the head. Let's remember that this week. Let's practice that this week. Hey, if you know members that are suffering, maybe a a phone call to encourage or a visit. If you know members that are hurting in their life for for whatever reason, physically, emotionally, whatever the case may be, reach out to them this week. That's what God has called us to be. That's how we show the love of Jesus. Amen. And it's so very important that we do so. Let's be encouragers instead of discouragers. It's important to spot problems. Nothing wrong with spotting problems. But you know what else? We need to fix problems too. Do what we can to make things better. Not just with you, but in the body. Amen? Now, if you're here this morning and you've not yet trusted in Jesus, the Bible says that every believer has been baptized into the body. The first step is placing faith in Christ. If you've not yet done that, why not today? Man, don't you want to be a part of something that has a guarantee of success that can't be stopped, that won't be stopped according to the truth of the word of God? Don't you want to be a part of the church, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you do, you can And today, all you need to do is trust in him. I want to show you what that means through the word of God. So if you need to be saved this morning, I want to ask you to come forward. Now, walking this aisle don't save you. Being in this church don't save you. I certainly can't save you, but i tell you what I can do. I can share with you in the word of God what it means to trust in Jesus. And the same Jesus who saved me can and will save you right here, right now, today. The same Holy Spirit that baptized me into the body. Can and will baptize you right here, right now, today. If you need the Lord, won't you come?